Goeiedag, goeie malo. Roto el pato de vestuario. Ja, interpretatio sempre negativa. Sempre negativa. Nunca positiva. Bon dia, welcome to CMK Positivo with me, Sam Marsden. As ever, I am joined by Rick Sharma and Tony Juan Martí to look back on Barcelona's Clasico defeat on Saturday. Some Karim Benzema magic and a deflected Tony Cruz free kick gave Madrid a two-goal lead at the break. Barca were poor in the first half, but they did improve after the break. Oscar Mingueza got them back into the game and after Casimiro was sent off late on, Elijah Mariba hit the bar, but it wasn't to be. There was a healthy dose of controversy too, of course. Barca boss Ronald Koeman was particularly angry about referee Gil Manzano's failure to give a penalty for Ferland Mendy's grapple on Martin Brathwaite. Or Gerard Piquet, who didn't actually play, but still managed to storm the pitch at full time to complain about a lack of stoppage time. We will try and get through all that and the title race with Madrid now top and Madrid, Atletico and Barca all just separated by one point at the time we record. Rick, you all set? All set, all set. Just had a nice brunch next to our friend Glyn Euston's house, friend of the pod. And then I made it back in time to start here. This is why you couldn't record earlier, because you had to go for brunch. Well, it had been pre-agreed and there had been no time set to record the pod at. So I think brunch took priority. It was a, a nice bagel with avocado, pesto. You know, you don't make plans on a Classico weekend. <laughs> Tony, bon dia. How are you doing? Bon dia. Well, it's a, a way to say something because it's not being a bon dia. It's not being a good day. It's even worse when you get up and when you realise that uh, that final crossbar from from Elias it was not a dream it was the the truth so yes it was a difficult night with uh, lots of opinions different well let's let's uh, try to to talk to all to all these things but yes of course it's been a, a sad day today does it feel like you've got a hangover tony and then you kind of bits flash back to you and you kind of remember bits of the night before no i would say is the just the opposite from from having a hangover because uh, you remind all when you have hangover, maybe you don't remember some things that you did uh, yesterday. But uh, <laughs> I remember Jordi Alba doing I don't know what on uh, Tony's cross goal. I remember Elias Crossbar. I remember Brightwood with Mendy. I remember Gil Manzano just adding four minutes when he, for his own, lost like three and a half. Uh, well, tough day, tough day, and it's even like raining in Barcelona. It's a, it's a nasty Sunday. <laughs> we'll, uh, yeah, we've, we'll get into all those decisions, both by the referee and the and by Ronald Koeman and, and the players. But Barcelona's 19-game unbeaten streak came to an end. Uh, it was good while it lasted. I guess that's the, the perspective if you take a step back. You know, Barca in, in November or December when they lost to Gadith were definitely of signed for this position still. Um, but Rick, just before we go into you know all the the details of what exactly happened in the game, if we just just step out a little bit, what were your thoughts on on Barca's performance on on Saturday, and what were the the lessons learned or any conclusions reached, or or is it just a case of not overreacting too much? I mean, I don't think we should overreact too much because as we've been saying all season, and I know we've kind of forgotten this in recent weeks because Barca have been doing so well. But you know, it is a transition season, and like you say. There is still a massive title race on, and there was there wasn't at Christmas. It, Barcelona were miles off the pace, like twelve points behind or whatever. I think that the result probably was fair yesterday. I mean, if I had to pick a result, it would be probably Madrid two, Barcelona one point seven five or something. So you know, sometimes they get that draw, and sometimes Madrid win. So I don't I don't think it was too unfair. I know, and we'll get into the decisions. Obviously, the decisions could have impacted the result in another way. 
But yeah, I think Barcelona, just ultimately, they lack what Madrid have. And that's natural because what Madrid have is a team that's won it all before, done it all before. Still, and I'm not saying that, you know, just having the experience is good enough because last season, Barca had all the experience. They had all the players, Rakitic, Suarez, Arturo Vidal, whatever. And, they, you know, they did badly. So it's not just having that experience. But, I mean, the way that Modric at 35 is still going and he, physically, he doesn't look like he's 35. Physically, he looks like he's in his prime, 28. He's, you know, he runs around, he's, he's perfect. And that midfield, Cruz Modric Casemiro is just, is just so good. And Pedri for Barca was, is decent and was good yesterday. But sorry, he, he was decent yesterday and he is, you know, great in general. But like, it's not enough to compete against that midfield. That is an elite midfield. The expected Rick there then is two 1.75. The expected goals that I saw, and sometimes I see different ones, but it was 1.4, 1.4. So that suggests both teams had adds good chances. Messi hit the the post from a corner, and um, it wasn't a fluke because Messi's been trying to score an Olympic goal from a corner for oh, I reckon at least three or four years. I feel like he's been doing it. Definitely before COVID, there were a couple of efforts, uh, and Elias hit the bar late on. Madrid also hit the woodwork as well. It's important to to point out through Valverde and then Vinicius deflected effort. So, so for you, Tony, was it a fair result, like Rick says, or do you think Barca would have deserved a draw? Well, I don't agree at all with uh, with Rick uh, because, uh, for example, I definitely think that uh, Barcelona really showed a better physical status on the second half. So yes, Modri is having a great season, also cross. But what I saw on the second time, on the second half, is a better team than Real Madrid. I saw Barcelona better physically, better playing. So for me. Barcelona is on, on the on the right point uh, when it comes to to physical status, but okay. Apart from that, uh, we know that uh, you have to compete during ninety five minutes. That's why I wrote on Twitter that for me it's not uh, unfair um, the 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 final result. It's for me it's uh, it's what it was uh, expected or what it could be expected after the game because it's not. Enough when you say no. First half for Real Madrid, second half for Barcelona. No, because I don't know. You you have to compete from the first minute until the last minute, and Barcelona didn't do it on the first half. And Madrid could have scored lots of goals. Okay, yes, it's true that uh, Messi had the the, the post after that. Elias the crossbar yet, but also Real Madrid had uh, some chances on the on the first half. But apart from that, I definitely think that what Barcelona did. Uh, really bad yesterday is the first 30 minutes. We all knew that Real Madrid was going to do that, trying to run counterattacks, and there were there were no way to stop them. Three central backs, Lenglet, Araujo, Mingueza, and Benzema was uh, having the ball alone. If you have three center backs, one of them has to be with Benzema the whole time. I don't know. For me, mm, the most difficult thing it's not the final result because at the end. Maybe uh, uh, Tony's cross goal goes out, and after that Elijah scores, and it's one two. For me, the most uh, difficult thing is that that feeling that on big games Ronald Koeman is not being able to to change uh, quickly if the plan is not uh, going properly. So I don't know. The feeling is that Barcelona on these big games is not still at at the required level. Maybe what we're seeing is that Koeman is a coach who's who's he's good to help Barcelona through the transition period, bring in the youngsters. But we're also seeing, and maybe it's maybe it's a little bit too soon to judge, but he's not good enough to manage in the big games and to 
grab a win where Barcelona really need a win in these kind of matches. And that he's actually, what he's doing is better for Barca's long-term future, but he's not a top-level coach. I think we've said that for quite a while on here, that, you know, Koeman is, I mean, at one point, perhaps we weren't even sure if he was suitable for that role. But I think we've said that, you know, he's he's done a good job in that sense, but that he's not the coach to take Barca to the next level. They will need someone else, but he's laying the, the foundations well. And yeah, perhaps the defeats in Madrid, as well as, you know, the losses to Paris Saint-Germain, the... The defeat to Atletico, the defeat in pretty much every big game, apart from, you know, a few Copa del Rey wins against teams that you would expect Barca to be, even if the severe comeback was, was less expected given, given the way it happened, perhaps demonstrates that, yeah, he's not, not quite at the top level. But in terms of his decision making yesterday, Rick, Tony obviously says the game was lost in the first half an hour. And I think it's difficult to, to argue with that. But I think Kuman's team was perhaps, I can, it's easy to criticise in in hindsight, but I think it was the right decision to put De Jong into midfield. But the, the the plan didn't quite come off. Was it too many changes? Was it the fact that Araujo wasn't fit and took a while to come into the game? Uh, well, yes, but these are two different things. One thing is the the the, the plan with De Jong on on the midfield. It was the right decision. Yes, we all agree. What we was not right is. That Barcelona defenders were not aware of uh, Madrid counterattacks with Benzema, with Vinicius, and we all, as I said before, we all knew that that was going to be the plan of Real Madrid. And for me, I don't know how to say in English, but it was like, uh, um, how do you say when uh, that, uh, like Stuart Little with the cheese? So Real Madrid played with that, and Barcelona was uh, was uh, I don't know how to say in English caer en la trampa how do you say fell into the trap fell yeah. into the trap yeah Play, played into their hands it felt a little bit like um, the rest of the Barcelona had a back three and that kind of almost the rest of the team felt that they were a little bit liber- liberated from having to defend especially Serginho Dest uh, Ivan San Antonio wrote in his player ratings on sport that Serginho Dest didn't suffer in defence because he didn't defend um, Mingueza was definitely left alone quite a lot um I mean, Alba and Pedri were both sort of caught out for that, the the, the raging run from Valverde, which resulted in the Benzema goal. Um, just to come back to you there, Rick, how, what did you think of the setup? Did you think it was the plan, the formation, the just Barca not being switched on, not alert to Madrid, like Tony says? Well, I'm going to say something that if people hear this and they hear what I've been saying on previous pods, they're going to be angry. And they're going to be like, but you've been blasting him the whole time. You've been criticising Antoine Griezmann from day one. And it's true, I have. But I also said, anyone who's listened really closely on the last pod will also say, the games where you want Griezmann in are the games like the Classico. The games where his defensive, his defensive ability is useful. In the games against smaller teams, you want an attacker who can rip teams to shreds. In games like the Classico, you might want a player like Antoine Griezmann who's going to put in a shift and get back and defend. And I feel like, you know, Griezmann's playing, maybe he's able to stop Fede Valverde on that rampaging run through Barca's midfield for the first goal. And that first goal is a thing of beauty, by the way, that Real Madrid goal. I know Madrid get a lot of criticism and often deservedly about not necessarily playing good football, winning with penalties and set pieces and crossing and not being able to work the ball into the box. But that goal was absolutely, it was a fantastic goal. Fede Valverde just destroyed Barcelona's midfield, right? Jordi Alba, absolutely to blame for that because he, he just melted when, when Valverde running him. You know what it reminded me of? was the first Classico when Valverde did exactly the same thing to Sergio, uh, to Sergio Busquets. Just left Busquets for dead. And so... I do have some sympathy with Alba because he was left with the decision either to cover Valverde, who had broken through from the midfield, or to go to Lucas. And he kind of... He picked the wrong option, obviously, in the end, and it didn't work out. But he was kind of sold a little bit short in that in that situation. No, that's that's, that's a fair comment. But I don't think he, he tackled... Well, he didn't tackle Valverde, basically. He could have... 
could have made a, a better challenge than he did. It's true that he was he was caught out by uh, the position of Madrid players and it was the speed of the counter attack just brutal. So yeah, I don't know. I think I think maybe this might not have been the game to drop Griezmann. I think, and I said this: the team that came and picked yesterday is probably the way the team should be used in the future. And I don't think yesterday's a good example of it. You know, it's hard to do something for the first time in a Clasico. So, at the risk of sounding very hypocritical, I think maybe Coman should have just kept what he was doing because Barca had been doing well with that. And then when there's easier games, used De Jong back in midfield. It's probably not easy for De Jong to play at centre-back for like weeks on end and then just go straight back into midfield and be expected to line up alongside Busquets like he was doing before and for Pedri to suddenly be put further forward and all that. I, you know, I think that... It's not it's not the easiest thing for the players to just adapt to that in a game like the Clasico of all games. And that completes the Siempre Positiva podcast because we've come full circle and Rick is now a massive Griezmann fan and the two go off and live happily ever after. <laughs> and that's the end. Griezmann's redemption arc by not playing, basically. <laughs> he was redeemed. No, I mean, long term, I still think what he's coming to yesterday is the right, the right tactic. We don't go massive on refereeing decisions on CMP Positiva, really. We haven't really spoken about them much, but Kuman made a, made a huge deal of it after the game about the failure to give a penalty for, for Ferla Mendy sort of push, sort of grapple on, on Martin Brathwaite late on with the score at 2-1. Uh, so much so that he stormed out of, uh, I think stormed is a fair word. It was quite funny because the rain was pouring down and he had an umbrella being held up up above him and he sort of left this this interview with Movistar because the interviewer didn't comment on whether he thought it was a penalty or not. It's, it's worth listening to that. Y todo el mundo piensa es penalti. ¿Tú has visto la jugada? Yo he visto la jugada. ¿Es penalti sí. o no? Yo bueno, creo que decide el colegiado, si no decide quieres, el bar, bueno, si decide no quieres mojarte, sí. que no mojas. Pero entiendo, vale. bueno, las palabras de Ronald Koeman. So, Tony, the big question, was it a penalty? Did Ferland Mendy foul Martin Brathwaite? Yes, of course, it was, a, it was a penalty. It was a clear penalty. Okay, it was a silly penalty from uh, Ferland Mendy, but it was a penalty. It's as simple as just check the, that, that action again the, and be aware of the fact that if you have ever played football, if you have ever played football, when you are running on one direction and someone pushes your arm behind you, you just twist. And that's what uh, what uh, Braithwaite did. Okay, that Gris, um, uh, Braithwaite was crazy to fall. Yes, yes. He, he, he was expecting for that and he was waiting for that, of course. But that's not his fault because Mendy did it. And it's just, it's a silly thing that you are running and then, then you twist and you fall. This is because uh, someone did you something and we saw on the image how Ferran Mendy gets the arm of uh, Brightweight and pushes uh, it uh, back. So for me, okay, it's not a scandalous. I mean, okay, it, I can accept that there are uh, some people that they say, okay, for me, it's not enough to be a penalty. It's not an, 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 an historic mistake. But for me, there's no doubt it's, it's penalty. It should have been penalty. Not for me, Clive. No, I'm not having that. It's not a penalty, Tony. You see that that contact millions of times in every football match. And if 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 Barca are going to have a penalty, it will be the first one. Mendy on Dembele for me is more a penalty, but still not a penalty. I think I tweeted that something like that. It was like 
Between the two incidents, Barcelona should have had about 0.7 of a penalty. Whenever you want, for our listeners, uh, with uh, some marks and recording, we go to, to the pitch, you run with the ball, and I <laughs> do you the same what uh, Ferland Mendy did. Let's see if you if you fall or you keep running. I'm like Didier Drogba. I'll go down if I'm going to get a, a free kick for it. But if I think the ref won't give it, I'm going to keep going. You'll go down because you are a Chelsea supporter, and uh, you still remember <laughs> Obrego. But it, it was definitely a penalty, I think. Silly penalty, but penalty. Because obviously they were showing the, the, the. I've only really probably watched that one. Obviously, there's a couple of there's a there's a Busquets push on Vinicius. There's the one Rick mentioned on Dembele. There's a couple of other decisions, but obviously that's the one that's getting all the focus. So I watched it back a lot of times because they kept showing it on Movistar. And the the more the more I saw it, the more I thought in the VAR era that is a penalty. You know, Mendy switches off. Brathwaite shows pace to get in front of him. Mendy panics, sticks an arm out, grabs him, then sort of pulls it away. Brathwaite's absolutely bought it, but in the in the era of VAR, that yeah, for me that's that's a penalty. I've seen much softer penalties given than that. Um, so yeah, I think it was it it was a penalty, and I, I disagreed with with Rick. I think I tried to step back and think, you know, not imagine it was a classic. Just imagine if it was any game, if it was just a Premier League game between random teams, and it wasn't two. And I think I think that's given as a penalty more often than not in the in the VAR, VAR era. Um, and I tried to think as well what the reaction would have been if a penalty was given. And obviously the classical, obviously Madrid would have been been angry, but try to imagine if it wasn't a game between Madrid and Barcelona. I don't think a team could have too many complaints in the way that Barca complain about it not being a penalty. I don't think the team that were penalised could have too many complaints. They just have to say, look, Mendy's done a silly thing. He's stuck his hand up. He's given the, the, the referee a decision to make and... Brathwaite's within his right to go down. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. Mendy has has done everything he can to give the referee a chance to play for a penalty without actually committing a serious foul, in my opinion. And it's important, I think that, not like Komen after the game, walking off with his umbrella, I think he, in, in the same way Brathwaite bought the penalty, Komen has gone absolutely massive on this just to take some of the heat off, off the first half and Barcelona, Barcelona weren't good enough. I, I know he admitted that too. He said, you know, we didn't start well. But... I think Komen is making much more of it than, than he, he should be doing. Yes, I agree. I agree with that. And on the stoppage time, PK, PK made the squad, but he wasn't fit in the end. He didn't come off the bench, but he stormed onto the pitch at halftime in, in probably the second best scene after Kuman storming out of the interview. And he sort of, you know, he exchanges words with, with Modric. Modric asks him, like, oh, you've come on to complain or kick off now. And he's like, just four minutes, Luca. And Luca's like, how many do you want? <laughs> and then PK's obviously complaining to Gil Manthano. Obviously, there's, in that second half, there's, it's just under three minutes that Gil Manthano is having to fix out the, the sort of technology on his, on his arm. There's, there's nine substitutions. There's a goal. There's the Casimiro red card. Four minutes. What did you make of the, the stoppage time? We'll come to you first this time, Rick. Not, well, yeah, not enough stoppage time probably. You could go five minutes, six minutes, whatever. I, d- I don't think in the long run it's that important of a thing. The chance was Elisha's chance at the end. That was it. That was going to, you know, the, the opportunity and it just hit the bar. It's a, ma- a matter of millimetres. And it would have been an amazing finale. I would have loved if that went in because, I mean, I like Elish and it's really good to see a, a kid coming through like him. And it just would have been an amazing ending to that, uh, a proper Classico. Like, it's been a long time since we've seen a good Classico. I know Barca fans aren't going to say that, they, that this was because, you know, they're upset and, and annoyed, obviously. But, like, it was a really, really entertaining Classico and it's been too long since that's been the case. It was perhaps a memorable Classico, just like, like, like you said, lots of incidents, it was end-to-end, not necessarily because of the quality of previous Classicos, because of the lack of quality meant that, you know, like Tony said in the second half, Madrid tied and that allowed Barca to impose themselves on the game. 
in the first half. Barca were terrible for that first half an hour and that allowed Madrid to look like sort of one of the, the, the peak attacking sides of all time <laughs> on the break. And um, then you had the storm and the weather pouring down. You had Messi having to change his shirt. Um, Messi shivering. Lots of little was, 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 was a Messi sight. shivering, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it was definitely a, a show. It was definitely a show for, for the Clasico and obviously huge implications at the top of the top of the table. Um, just one question here from Charlie. Well, not a question, but Charlie Barca popped up on our Twitter account and he says, it comes down to what we've said all season. Barcelona are missing a decent number nine. Is it as simple as that? I think they'd be top. If they had number nine, they'd easily be top of the league by this point. I don't think it's as simple as that. There's obviously other parts of the team that need to be improved. Like yesterday, the fullbacks both made the mistakes for the goals. I mean, Alba for the first one, like we said. Dest, we didn't mention Dest. Dest, terrible, terrible defending from the free kick. Turned his back to the ball. If he just, if he just, you know, accepts I'm in the wall, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm blocking this. I'm gonna get hit. He block, hits it with the chest, and then it's, it's not a goal. But he turned away and it hit his back and flew in. So there's other things to fix too. But number nine would be, would make Barca top easily. Yeah, that, that that free kick goal was curious. Like you say, Dest obviously the sin of turning away, but it's hard to say in slow motion. But should Alba have headed it clear as well? And what about the goalkeeping for the two goals, Tony? It takes a deflection, doesn't it? I think it's hard for Alba. Yeah, in the slow-mo it looks like he because obviously he gets his head to it it looks like maybe he should head it clear but like you say with the deflection and the pace it's hard to, to know exactly how, how much more he could have done no, but what for me is, is, is true is that uh, it, make, uh, it, it makes no sense playing with Dembele as a striker when you don't have spaces it's the same when uh, Thierry Henry came to Barca uh, he had no spaces to run so when you play with Dembele as number 9 he, he needs to be able to run and we saw 10 players of Real Madrid playing uh, next to Courtois. So for me, Kuman should have changed it. We saw that Dembele on the second half, he was more dangerous. It makes no sense playing with uh, Dembele in the box with five or six uh, defenders because he has no spaces. So yes, yesterday I think uh, Kuman should have changed uh, the number nine for Griezmann or I don't know, but Dembele playing as a striker, uh, it, it, it was a, a big mistake. After the first uh, 20 minutes, it was clear that he's not as uh, fast, as, uh, as, as uh, technical as uh, Ansu Fati or other strikers. And just one question before we move on to Rick's ratings. Where do we stand on Ronald Koeman now? Do you still give him a second season? Is, is, is he still the man to, to lead this transition or are Barca ready for the next stage? It's a very good question because I think the situation is changing all the time. It, like two weeks ago, we'd probably say, yeah, yeah, Koeman, Koeman. But now I'm, I'm on the fence. I think we'll have to see how the cup final goes next weekend as well. If they, if they lose the cup final and they don't put on a, at least a good performance then I think there are people who are going to start to think maybe Komen has, you know, he's done well this season, but we know he's not the man for long term. Maybe it's time to start to change. Maybe, maybe it's time for Xavi if Xavi wants to come in the summer. I think that it's going to, it's going to come down to, to how Barca arrive at the summer and whether they think they can get more players in. If they can't make more signings, maybe you keep Komen for another season? For me, it's a difficult question because it seems uh, so easy to say after yesterday, no, he doesn't deserve to be the manager. And after these uh, uh, old games without losing and after beating Sevilla, yes, he's the right man. 
I don't know. I think we have to do the the analysis uh, without uh, being aware of results. And uh, for me, it's not clear if uh, Kuman has to be the coach because on one side, I think he he's a great manager with a personal uh, manager with players, uh, letting them to stay together and all these things. But when it comes to only tactics and how to play, trying to discover where can he hurt the the other team, I think that maybe. Uh, on big games, Barcelona could uh, need like uh, another another idea or another 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 coach. I think the problem is the who would replace him. If you work on the the premise that I mean, Laporte has not been as strong on on Javi as other presidential candidates were. Javi's obviously done a great job in Qatar, and people say, oh, it's only Qatar. But you see a lot of big coaches go to Qatar and not do what Javi has done in terms of the trophies he's won in terms of not losing in, in the league. So he's obviously a very good coach. And like you say, it's about the plan. And, and it's, it's difficult to, to judge Kuman just on what he's doing because obviously the the feeling is going to be determined so much by what happens in the Copa del Rey final and what happens in the title race. So I'm probably just about leaning towards keeping him for the for the second season. As long as, you know, Barca continue on this arc that we've seen, this 19-game unbeaten run before Madrid, if they can sort of pick that up and win the Copa del Rey final, regardless of if they win the league or not. But if they can do well over these last eight games, then I'd probably give Koeman another season and then sort of have a plan in place to, to replace him perhaps in 2022. But yeah, I mean, it's very, very, very difficult. Rick's quick ratings. Testegan five. Or Ter five. Go back to Ter. Wasting time again, aren't I? Ter five. It just because his distribution was bad in the in the first half, especially. And he, the only place Benzema can hit Benzema, ben, Benzema can hit that goal is that bottom corner. There's no other way for him to hit that ball. So I think Ter Stegen maybe should have done better for that. Uh, Mingessa for me, Barca's best player. Eight. Great tackle on Marcelo late on. As well as the goal, he made a fantastic tackle on Marcelo to keep the game alive. Araujo, six. Lenglet, six. Dest, five. Busquets, De Jong, six each. Alba, six. I know he made the mistake, but he also did set up Barca's goal with a cross for Mingessa. Pedri, seven. Messi, six. Dembele, five. Griezmann off the bench, six. And I haven't really given anyone else a rating after the bench because it all got really confusing. So many changes. Both teams kind of... I mean, I saw a tweet, I can't remember who said it, but it was like the manager was just like throwing darts at the, the benches to decide who came on. It was very wild, the last half an hour of the game. Yeah, I don't like these five subs. I mean, Barca obviously finished stronger, so it didn't have too much of a detrimental effect on them. But I remember I used to watch a lot of the Hooven LA games with some with a, with a parent of a kid who played for one of the Barca teams. And in, in those games, they tend to make a lot of subs as well. And the, the players coming on can't get into the game. It breaks up the game. I think it favours the side that, that is winning, probably all these all these subs and all these changes because it just constantly stops start and it doesn't allow you to build any momentum. Tony, you happy with Rick's ratings? No. I Well, for me, Ter Stegen, uh, between four and five because, uh, yes, he had a great... Uh, a uh, great action with 2-0 but for me it's a big 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 mistake the first goal of Karim Benzema from uh, from uh, Marc-André Ter Stegen uh, I think that uh, okay we are we are we are I don't know if uh, how to say in English uh, exigentes demanding yeah we are very demanding on Ter Stegen but because we definitely think he's the best goalkeeper in the world with uh, with Oblak so if he's the better he has to act 
uh, he has to act like this. And with this cross, he has to know that the only way of Karim Benzema shooting is that action he did. So he has to be aware on the on the first post. So for me, it was a big mistake from him on the on the first goal on on Mark Andre Ter Stegen. And apart from that. I think that he knew that he had a mistake because after that, as Rick said, he was like uh, nervous or anxious with the ball, with bad passes or I don't know. For me, yesterday, uh, Mark andre Ter Stegen was not what we expect from him. But okay, he's a human and of course he cannot be the best always. So um, 1000% credit for him. Let's just take a look at the implications for the title race. Real Madrid are now top on 66 points level with Atletico at time of recording. They play Real Betis later on on Sunday and Barca have 65 points. So just one point separates the top three. Um, I've been analysing the run-ins and I said before the Classico that whoever won would probably be the favourite and I stand by that I think Real Madrid are the favourites for the title now they've got Hatafe, Cadiz, Betis, Osasuna Sevilla, Granada, Athletic and Villarreal um, Atletico have Real Betis, Eibar, Huesca, Athletic, Elche, Barcelona, Real Sociedad, Osasuna and Valladolid and Barcelona have Hatafe, Villarreal, Granada, Valencia, Atletico, Levante, Celta and Eibar I think in this situation, Real Madrid are definitely the favourites. The fact that Barca and Atletico have to play each other favours them. Um, I guess the one slight against Real Madrid is, you know, people will point out that while they've been fantastic in, in big games, they've often tended to switch off for, or lose against, you know, in inferior opposition or, or some of the smaller teams. But I think in this situation with the the title being so close, as we saw last season, they'll be able to switch on. Obviously, they've got a lot of injuries in defence and stuff and they're tiring. Zidane said they're tiring a lot. So I guess that's something that, that could hinder them. Plus their Champions League Champions League run to the semi-final looks like looks like they will be in there with the first leg against Liverpool. For for you, Rick, who are the favourites now? Real Madrid? Yeah, Real Madrid. I mean, I don't... I, I agree with what you said. They In the past, they have, you know, against smaller teams, they do switch off. But it's like last season. They're going to grind out, you imagine, the rest of these games. And Zidane has been been clever. I mean, the quotes are quite good for him when he said that, you know, Madrid are struggling towards the end of matches. But we're going to need everyone. And he's been quite good with that. He has brought in Marcelo to good effect in recent weeks. And Isco has started to appear. And he is bringing in the squad players. And he's going to, with the fixtures they've got that aren't that hard, he's going to give them opportunities. And Marcelo at left midfield is, is, a, is a good player for Madrid still. And something that, they're, that could end up being key for them in the final weeks of the season. Yeah. Just I, just, I mean, we get back to the tie race, but I just I forgot to say earlier. Obviously, the fact that Varane, Ramos, and Carvajal were were missing for Madrid on Saturday against Barca, and they were still so organised defensively, and Barca couldn't break them down. Was adds, I guess, to the sense of missed opportunity for for Barca. Tony on the title race, where are you leaning? We you, you're not bothered this morning because. Uh... I know that when you are, uh, I don't know, where you have some feelings, you are not uh, 100%, ob- I don't know if it's right, objective, I don't know, neutral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. what I did this morning is go to the place with more uh, objectivity uh, in the world, is the bookies, because uh, bookies don't feel anything. <laughs> and for my surprise, what I saw is that for most of bookies, Atletico de Madrid and Barcelona are favorite on the same way. And after that, a bit behind Real Madrid. So it was a surprise for me because even if Madrid is uh, above Barcelona, for bookies, Barcelona is still favorite. Zinedine Zidane told yesterday, wow, physically we are on the limit. I don't know. Uh, 
I wouldn't say that Madrid is more favorite than Atletico at all. So for me, uh, I would say... What about the momentum, though? The momentum of both teams. Atletico are struggling. Madrid are just hitting their best. Yes, uh, I, I know, but you have to be aware on the way, on the fact that, for example, if Atletico wins tonight against uh, Betis, it changes. Then they have a weekend to relax, to uh, to recover, to to take uh, players again because they have some, some injuries. Uh, I don't know if Madrid uh, gets to the to the semi-final or to the yes to the semi-final on the on the Champions League will have more 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 matches to play. For me, I would keep saying what I said uh, last week. Atletico is a favorite. I also think that this is quite a rudimentary way to look at it. But you look at each of the three teams, how many players in each team are playing at a top top level? Right? Atletico is just two, or Black and Suarez. And then you look at Barca, you have Messi, you have Dembele, but maybe not maybe not at an elite level in, in, in every game. So you have Messi and maybe you know, possibly one or two others. Pedri is another one, mate. So two. Then you look at Madrid, you have Courtois, you have Modric, Casemiro, Cruz, you have Benzema. That's half their team that is playing at an elite level every single game at the moment. Yeah. Just I wanted to touch on this as well, because obviously Psychology will play a lot in the in the title race and Barcelona with the Copa del Rey final next week and then the way the games fall the following week means that by the time they next play they could be ten points behind Atletico Madrid and nine behind is it nine behind Real Madrid? No, no, it's I've lost math obviously not my strong point. They could be ten behind Atletico and seven behind Madrid. Is that right? I don't know. Well anyway, Madrid played twice and Atletico played three times before Barca play again. <laughs> So, yeah, 10 and 7, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that could be... I mean, going into that Barca's next game against Atafe, if they've, if they've got that big gap psychologically, every game becomes a a bit of a troll, doesn't it? Because you've got that fear of then if you lose that and then it's, it's, it's not ideal. And obviously, it'll, I guess it will swing other ways at, at a certain point where Barca can maybe close the gap or, or go top at certain points, depending on how the fixtures fall. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting when Barca next play again that they could be so far off the top. Right, I think we've well we've covered a lot. We probably haven't covered enough. There's a lot more we could have gone into. A lot more details there. Anything either of you thought was was missing or were desperate to say about the Classico? No, I think I think that's that's a a pretty conclusive roundup. We could talk. I mean, you're right. We could talk about it for like an hour, two hours, three hours. Just keep. I mean, we'll probably be debating the same things again and again and again, like that penalty, which I don't think is, and you two do. Along with Ronald and his, I mean, we haven't talked about Coman and his umbrella really. Like the way he walked off with his umbrella was, it's just pure comedy moment. I couldn't believe what I was watching. It, it was like, I used to work in a library uh, in Chandler's Ford in the south of England. And you go into, you're in the library and then like if a, a customer gets annoyed. You know, they don't have like a screaming fit in the library. It's a quiet place. But they just walk off like, like Coman did yesterday. It, it, for me, it was like someone who'd, who, yeah, was on holiday and it's raining and he's in a bad mood and he's had bad customer service and he's just like, gone, he's done. I can see that Tony is hasta los huevos con the, con the Clásico and con Barcelona. He's desperate to get away now and disconnect. What have you got planned, Tony, to forget about football? Uh, no, just uh, planned working. I have to uh, to be on some game in uh, from La Liga Smart Bank commentating it. So it will be difficult to be focused on other games than uh, that El Clásico, but it's the DNA. Elias hits the post and Real Madrid would have scored that goal. It's uh, always the same, the, 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 the f- 
DNA, sorry for saying that, but it's the truth, DNA. Barcelona, it's always close to, close to, but we don't have that 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 uh, that luck at the end. And this is, it's been from the, the whole history of the club, so. There was a good line in, in Mascara's piece in sport where he was just like, Real Madrid just win these games without even meaning to. I think we'll have to beep out Tony's throw in there to make sure that we can appear on all the iTunes. I've heard complaints about... Uh, Podcasts getting taken down. Um, right, we will be back in the week. The change to the schedule for a Copa del Rey final preview. Uh, until then, um, yeah, see you soon. Stay positive. Siempre positivo. Okay.